Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. So last week, the Uttarakhand Chief Minister Tirat Singh Rawat made this comment about ripped jeans and how this woman wearing ripped jeans went against Indian culture because what values would she impart to her children? Um, and that kind of triggered this whole debate about rip jeans in particular but more broadly i think within the team it made us think about um how often indian politicians invoke this idea of sanskar to kind of get women particularly to do the to toe the line this also happened in the case of the hatras rape when a politician made a comment about how you know if a girl is raised with good sanskar then such crimes can be avoided so in light of that, we decided to sit and talk about this idea of what sanskar is and whether we should reject all sanskars. So to start off with, uh, let's ask everyone, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say sanskar? This is Shishti, your host. Yeah, Shishti. Um, so yeah, this is Rajvi. Uh, I was definitely seeing this as like the norm that as something that I should be aspiring to, but I never actually did it. Uh, but I think my associations were primarily related to like docile behavior than anything else. Like, you know, don't swear, touch elders' feet, be soft-spoken, be nice, be accommodating, uh, don't indulge in vices. So it, mostly I think it was like obedience, uh, was for me like the main takeaway from all of this sanskar talk that was happening around me also before we delve into this whole discussion just a bit of a disclaimer that there is a lot of scholarly debate and writing on what constitutes sanskar and the ways in which it is harmful or how it can be reclaimed if at all we'll put some links for you to check out in the description but we won't be going into that scholarly debate here We'll stick to our own personal experiences and of course, because it's RD, we will talk about pop culture portrayals of Sanskar. Hmm. Uh, sanskar in specific, I've always uh, associated with a certain amount of religiosity. Not that my mom expected me to wake up at five in the morning and do a puja. I think she would find that strange herself. But like, I think the association, at least with respect to say, participating in festivals rather than lying about your period so you can take an extra hour to sleep. I think that's probably what Sanskar meant to me. Hey, it's Carla. Um, I would just like to state that as usual, and I did not plan this, but I am destroying Indian culture with my Western values. <laughs> my ripped jeans, for those of you who can't see my pants. And that Carla stood up on her chair to show us the record, please, everybody know that. Um, but for me, I think the idea of sanskar came from like pop culture. And even now, when I think about it, I think of Aloknath, dark associations after meeting for sure. But like the idea of sanskar is like a Suraj Bajatya film or an Ekta Kapoor serial, you know, like that's where it would be mentioned the most and it would be this whole big deal. I don't know if you're, for y'all also, like the idea got cemented through pop culture. And I wonder, Kala, if when you have seen like Indian content and like movies and TV shows, when you felt like this overwhelming presence in some narratives. Um, I want to, I want to ask another though. I mean, if you want to answer in the sense that, you know, like whatever we've described as Sanskar, like you having grown up in the US, like, is there any kind of equivalent uh, to that? Like even remotely close that you felt like there were like codes of conduct to other to that were more institutionally imposed. 
Yeah, I feel like in the U.S., it's like the the word appropriate, like what is appropriate for certain settings gets used a lot in this same context. So you can layer that on to like, you know, what is appropriate behavior like in school, right? And what is appropriate behavior for, uh, you know, a woman who's dating or a woman who's asserting herself online or in a public space or whatever. There's all of these notions of like, oh, that's so inappropriate. And it's really a way of like, you know, sort of imposing respectability on mostly women in these various contexts. But that's the main way that I would see it play out is like that is sort of analogous. Wow. So it's interesting that you say that it's like mostly women on which it is imposed because Shushti, like when you were talking about Suraj Barjatya movies, like I I was just like kind of thinking about like when I was little and I was watching Mene Pyar Kia and Viva and Hum Saat Saat and all of those movies, right? Um, And then there was this like the spotlight was always on the women, like the bhabis and the bahus, like they would be fully devoted to their families. Um, And I mean, the sanskar, I felt like was never actually defined, you know, it was always this kind of vague concept uh, that then got manifested in these gestures so it's like if guests come to your house then you get up and get the chai um, or you know you make sacrifices for your family so like we didn't really know what I didn't really know what sanskar meant um, except that I knew that its manifestations uh, center like obedience and like docility docileness um, and mostly it's like women who are expected to put everybody else before themselves and they are sanskari like unko their parents raised that way and that is like the utmost biggest compliment you could give um, to somebody you're bringing into your house i think another association that i had with respect to sanskar was like this idea of marriageability like it was immediately linked right like or sanskari like even the acts that you described radvi going and getting like tea for guests that's done in a very marriage context when the like the arranged marriage groom just come, first comes to meet and uh, it's like it's almost as if it's like a training of subservience for when the bride moves to like taking care of somebody else's family so that i i feel like that was a correlation that i noticed so, you know, I do disagree with this Suraj Barjatya movie analysis, though, because I, <laughs> as someone who's watched those movies a lot on Z Cinema at 4 p.m., uh, I, I feel like there overwhelmingly even men were portrayed as sanskari, right? Like if you think about characters like Monish Bell or the few films where Salman Khan has like a, I'd say, comparatively decent character profile is like in Suraj Barjatya films. I think there's a lot of... um emphasis on the sons also being very obedient and very like they're loyal to their family they will come and live with their parents or whatever what is interesting though is that i feel like it's only the women who become evil in those movies when they don't follow sanskar you know it's only them who like break apart the family either it's the mother-in-law or it's a daughter-in-law or it's someone whoever it is it's always a female character while the men are overwhelmingly these like docile and super sweet and well-meaning characters who never do anything wrong. Shushti, I, to an extent, agree with you about the men also having to kind of follow these, like, norms. But I do think that the constant need to prove that you are sanskari in, like, however many gestures and however many tasks and actions throughout the day, every single day, every week throughout the year, I think that burden is definitely on women. Like, I, I feel like filmmakers would always kind of tell us, the, these men are sanskari these men are decent we would be told but for the women we would be shown constantly again and again through everything that they did as if they're constantly like um 
on some kind of uh, like or constantly trying to pass some kind of test or something so i mean that's interesting rashmi because i think it also speaks to something that quite a few film experts who we've in uh, film academics who we've interviewed have spoken about like ranjini mazumdar most famously has also written a book on bombay cinema and the a uh, bad woman uh, or the vamp versus the heroine or the good woman and these used to be the traditional markers of what makes a woman a vamp versus what makes her a heroine right like if she dresses a certain way if she has indian values then she's a good woman and if she doesn't have those and if she breaks up the family and if she's after the man only for his money or whatever then she's a bad woman but like with cinema also i think that idea has changed right like in, in terms of the kind of love stories that we see in terms of the kind of heroines that we see and now increasingly in terms of the kind of like actually women led content that we see where women are actually producing and directing that content i think this dichotomy at least in pop culture has gone away so uh, there's an interesting bit of background i think i i'm sure you must have known from your interviews of course uh, about uh, why so like why there was like this uh, distinction in film between like the vamp and like the good girl right and uh, this particular distinction from what i've read came out around uh, when india got independence or even slightly before and uh, it's because uh, everybody like in film they wanted to create this idea of what an indian woman looks like and it had to stand in direct contrast to like a western woman right like whoever the western woman might be but most often they're not it's like uh, like uh, uh, i don't know like a christian woman or a white woman so the po- <laughs> yeah so the point was that uh, it would always be like the indian girl is like uh, sanskari and she has these values and more often than not the woman who's the vamp she would always be like either a, like a woman who was in real life not indian or not hindu and she would either be christian or she would either be from like another country and that was to create this very specific idea of nationalism and uh, i think in a way this is also like a perpetuation of that right like it's like uh, when you sort of say that like uh, genes are causing problems or like xyz thing that's not indian is causing problems it's like a subtle way of in- enforcing a certain amount of uh, do the indian thing and like have the pride in the indian thing um so okay this is this is interesting because i don't think it's only also pop culture that kind of uh... determines how we think about it right like the indian state uh, and different administrations across the country um, have also kind of passed laws and you know kind of started to implement policies uh, that also then tell us like what is sanskari and what is not sarkari sanskari um, um and one main thing is like the banning of clothing items again going back to ripped jeans but like banning skirts short skirts skirts with slits um universities have done this villages towns administrations have done this um all of this was in an effort to encourage modesty and i think that's also another hallmark of like sanskar and beauty right uh, that the woman obviously is covered up you know aankhi niche rakhne wali ladki uh, she is seen as the long term partner um and the person who wears short skirts and xxx whatever does uh, whatever that we don't consider sanskari is somebody who's kind of around because she's easy and whatever i mean most movies uh, kind of perpetuate this dichotomy for us but it it feels to me just from like the sense i get 
in hearing all of these descriptions about what this is really about, that it boils down to women's sexual liberation, right? To women having sort of like autonomy and agency over their sexuality. And it sounds like every, that's like at the, at the center of it. And then all of these various small types of behavior that come from it are all spokes in that wheel. But at its essence, that is at its core, that's what it's about, right? Yeah, I agree with you in the sense that, see, like we've talked about gestures, like small gestures that perhaps don't matter, that perhaps you could just kind of overlook them and it wouldn't really make a difference if you conform or not. Um, but then, then there is like the sanskari traditions of staying in a marriage because divorce is bad or the sanskari tradition of uh, giving dowry for example or not being not saying no to the groom's family like all of these things have documented consequences of long-term abuse of uh you know like violation of dignity and safety etc etc um so under the revered guise of like sanskar and sanskriti like sanskriti is also culture um and i guess sanskar is the values that you need to kind of follow that culture um it's essentially a way to control um someone's life and choices what we actually think what sanskar means it really depends on who is doing the defining right that everybody has essentially their own personal sanskar um so yeah like what's acceptable in one community may not be acceptable in another community um but at the end of the day there is one definition that we kind of are there too that all of us have been kind of speaking through the lens of for the for this podcast which is the upper caste hindu lens that uh, is uh, like the reigning determinant of sanskar in india currently i think there was another there's also another uh, like uh, common uh, denominator when it comes to sanskar in india which is like uh, i think two things i can think of one is value education in schools and the second is the adarsh balak posters if you guys remember every school had those uh, posters which like it's like a uh, kind of it's like a comic thing where like there's like a young boy and he's supposed to be like a good boy and he does like several things that make him like a good boy like uh, praying attentively taking a bath daily praying studying attentively uh, helping others so it's like uh, i think there's like there's like a very slight difference between i think uh, over time there's been a slight difference between what sanskar is from an upper caste perspective versus what sanskar is from like a good person perspective like a lot of the upper caste values are retained right like uh, i don't know modesty but uh, some other things become a little bit more like uh, say for example serving the poor or doing extra charity i don't remember that as being a very upper caste thing so that might be like uh, that's that's a bit different or something that's happened over the years i feel like i disagree with that because i think that doing charity is at the heart of every elite fantasy around the world of a person who holds power so yeah you're right like i think holding power or holding a lot of money is like does end up like leading to charity but like i think upper casteness like the whole sanskritization of sanskar uh, comes from brahmins right and brahmins usually receive charity rather than taking it so that's why i was wondering if there's been like a gentle shift so okay moving away from these gestures and moving away from how it manifests right like i've 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 like just looked at like translations of hindu texts and like what at the essence of sanskar like what it is supposed to mean and what is it supposed to give the person who is sanskari so it's essentially just supposed to help people lead a virtuous life like theoretically it's supposed to ensure that people lead happy healthy 
respectable lives that are full of knowledge wisdom joy like things like selflessness harmony sacrifice caring about other people like all that's supposed to be up there karma is also big deal here um and the idea is to essentially give little kids a model for how to be healthy um and well and how to live lives as upstanding people so so far so good right like this this sounds good <laughs> like everybody it sounds great yeah everybody wants to lead lives like this like and i would also and i would also argue that uh, there's like research that talks about what this does to kids and to a certain extent in india like in parts of india like religion i feel pervades like more deeply uh, than for example sex education does or any kind of education does right um so the idea of sanskar could possibly be beneficial for early childhood development according to research it says um it helps communities help babies develop like proper feeding habits it ensures adequate nutrition for them prevents diseases so um this not from like a moral health like lens but from like a religious lens of what you are supposed to deliver to your offspring like it's a more esoteric more kind of righteous lens through which to do this um but in places where sanskar and like religious identity is like a majority or like major driving force uh, for people um this could potentially be just a good thing um that happens and obviously later in life all the other shit comes with it and then doesn't make sense but i yeah i'm not sure like if it's that innocent a concept ever you know like i'm doubtful even if it's like best form of application because i think it always comes with this thing of i've always understood sanskar as removing the context of who the sanskari person is you know like it never makes you aware of your privilege or it never makes you think about like power dynamics of like what does it mean to help someone but it's all why does someone need your help you know like does it make you question that i think the sans this this whole cultural value framework centers the individual in a very dangerous way like if i lead my life by all of these principles i will be a good person but is that enough if you have what you have is that enough to be a good person and i think a lot of the times it's it's this kind of thing which makes people very sanskari and very like following all of these things that they're supposed to do to be healthy and happy but you know they'll be islamophobic or they'll be casteist or i mean even we'll be islamophobic or casteist in our own ways growing up and uh or even now and that will go unquestioned you know because you're still doing all of these things that you're supposed to do within sanskar the people who teach you that sanskar will never question these aspects of it because they don't expect it to be performed to people outside your community sorry i feel like that was a long run no i think that's interesting because like that's actually the less cynical outlook with respect to this that like uh, you pass down a set of uh, ideals from person to person and nobody really interrogates it because it's set in stone that this is the way to behave but for me i've always thought uh, sanskar is almost a way of showing virtue right so it's almost like an idea of control so if you sort of uh, present yourself as sanskari you get like uh, an upper hand with respect to conversations and you get to sort of control decisions and you get to sort of set an example you get to lead in a way so and it sort of increases your social standing also so those are also very uh, interesting ways in order to become sanskari almost to have a certain uh, the reason to become sanskari to have sort of bargaining power 
Wait, so you think that being sanskari cannot just be somebody trying to be a good person and then you leave it at that? Like, do you ever think that it can be? I know it's reductive, maybe, to think like this, but do you think it ever kind of stops at that? Like, can that be a reality for people? I think so. Like, for a lot of people, it is just that. Like, it is just because, like, I think it's like faith, right? Like, uh, it just gives you a way to be, and it like saves you a lot of thought process, and it gives you something like solid and. Uh, strong to hold on to and uh, like it seems right so like you don't have to worry too much about it so i i think for a lot of times it can stop but then a lot of times it's also just control but it's not only the individual right it gives the institution a huge amount of power and control right and so i think like i mean these codes of conduct i also see them like very cynically because um Anytime you lay out like this is a recipe for happiness, first of all, it obviously isn't like there can be no like singular recipe for fulfillment and happiness. But I think the creepier part is that it's basically a recipe for an institution keeping a group of people behaving the way that benefits the institution, whether yeah. that's of the religion or the state or whatever that institution is. Yeah, I agree with you. So. um like expanding it to outside of india right i think that the idea of etiquette which is not exactly the same as sanskar but it does kind of espouse like a, a bunch of things that we've already talked about like etiquette also as a concept started or or i mean the, one of the earliest like uh, understandings of it and analyses of it uh, comes from when like the aristocracy in the the uk or whatever great britain or whatever uh, was like declining and like um, aristocrats kind of like fearing that they're going to lose power now uh, they came up with these like random things uh, that would signify their class that would signify their social hegemony or something like how to eat how to dress how to speak whatever and then the main idea of it was not the thing that you do uh, that makes you superior but the fact that nobody else knows that they're supposed to do it um, and so you can kind of maintain exclusivity um, and perhaps power for a little longer I think that's really interesting because, like, uh, I think around the world in several cultures, there's always this whole idea of like the upper class woman or the upper caste woman sort of uh, being this uh, sexless figure because she has to sort of represent uh, aristocracy in a way. Like, for example, I remember from um, like South Indian culture in particular, there's this difference between say a uh, upper caste woman who's married into a family versus say a dancing woman, a courtesan or a devdasi. so the difference was that like where um, i think this uh, this particular sort of saying i'm going to talk about roughly which comes from like uh, and it's in like an old devadasi saying and it basically talks about how when brahmin women are married off they're married off into a family so like instead of like marrying a person they're essentially marrying a family and so that's one reason to sort of stay away from marriage because it's almost like slavery in a way it's like shackling and you don't get any form of like sexual freedom or any form of uh, joy out of it and you do get respectability but it's a very like cold and barren sort of respectability and it's not of your own agency so okay i mean all of these are fair points right like etiquette has been described as like a very classist class castist sexist whatever like all of this is true and valid but i do like feel that at some point um if for example and this is like an abstract social norm right that kind of changes depending on who you're talking to and where you're going like if fully dismantling such an abstraction is not a possibility then sometimes conforming is just easier um 
and uh, like research shows that like basic etiquette if you follow right be it dressing or eating speaking greeting whatever um if people don't follow it it can cost people their friends their relationships even like jobs and stuff um so if it's a matter of i don't know like saying namaste when you meet somebody or uh, leaving your shoes at the door when you go to somebody's house even if that's not something that you follow at your own i mean these are very small things right like if that kind of diffuses a potentially combative or confrontational situation or if, like is it such a big deal if you don't do it yeah but like then it's not being done uh, like it's being done as more of a like a resigned sort of thing right you don't you're not voluntarily choosing into it it's like again you're sort of buying into it for the time being and like it's almost as if uh, you're leading two lives i think this is something that a lot of diaspora women and even a lot of like indian women talk about often like you are a separate person to your family and you're a completely different person when you go outside so like then it is just a burden and then it's also something you grow to hate right because like it completely prevents you from doing whatever you really want to do yeah i mean i i completely agree with you like i think it's like a bandaid on like an open wound right so it's not going to it's not going to like kind of solve your problem but in the meantime it could at least give you the resources to go outside and figure out if there's something else but i i just wonder that like when we're talking about this question of should we reject all sanskars it is looking at it for its inherent value and if there's inherent value in that right not necessarily in following that and i wonder like the only thing that i think about again which someone had kind of spoken about on with one of our older episodes end of worship about how it has so much value because around the world when there are so many cases of like um elderly like sorry elder neglect which are coming up like having a value system which is rooted in like respecting the elderly has a lot of value um and i feel like in that sense there are a lot of cultural values that we have which come from a good place i mean if 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 we extend some of these ideas of like valuing elderly people it's i think it's a really good um kind of value to have and to kind of inculcate direct rebuttal to that uh, yesterday i was looking up a who report about instances of ageism around the world and turns out that uh, cultures that are more likely to uh, show deference towards their elders say indian and uh, southeast asian and south asian cultures were extremely high in ageism so like they hated their elders like 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 in absurd amount like double the amount than uh, like any other culture hated elders so what was really interesting was that so the authors wanted to figure out why because there's been so many studies done about like how um, say south asian cultures and east asian cultures have a lot of deference towards the elderly what they found out was that they don't want to like critique individual elders because of this culture of deference but then they end up hating like elders as a whole anyway so like it's really it's like there's a very specific sort of uh, cultural respect for uh, your elder like the elder you know beaten in but then like elderly elders as a whole don't really get any respect so like there's no it's like which brings me to another point about my general distrust for sanskar because i genuinely think it's just a way to sort of uh, live in like tightly insulated communities it's like this whole idea of say like i said the uh, respecting your elder rather than elders as a whole i think it also comes in because uh, if you take two separate cultures that exist in india both conservative uh, say a 
Catholic Indian culture and like a traditional Hindu culture. Both of them are built on a certain amount of modesty, right? Like for and both of them are extremely surveilled cultures. Like even Hindu culture, uh, in Hindu culture, you have uh, women who can't talk to other people, and then there's like a bunch of aunties who are looking. Catholic culture also, you have like a church. It's its own system. People are not. You can't talk to boys. Like you're very observed. But Hindus think that Christian women are loser. Christian women are sluttier, etc., etc., etc. So it's and like they're not sanskari. just because like they dress a different way even though like even though like this is all very obvious and well known about this whole idea of surveillance within these cultures it's genuinely just like these particular ideas that are put in place so that you can judge and look down upon other people and so that you build a higher level of community and insulation within your own set of people also because especially when you when you were talking about how you know like in comparison to the west if somebody goes there like being sanskari for example can be a marker of your indian identity it can be something that you can assert as being indian uh, but as with most things that get lauded outside when you actually put that thing in here you are you understand who's doing the lauding and it's a very small group of privileged elite that has essentially done the opposite of that to people in their own country who they like like think is as inferior to them um but um, yeah like i feel like maybe like the idea of sanskar or etiquette or whatever like i i do think that if if you kind of the the entire idea is to just live a virtuous life to live a happy life to live a life that is full of knowledge or whatever whatever the vague uh, i don't know um like preachy however it may sound if the idea is just that then the most basic thing that you can do is let individual people figure out what that means for their own lives right uh, but the problem is that the way that we have whittled down what it means in very very little gestures very very little ways um i don't think there is any way to backtrack back to that main idea that there was um so maybe it's just a matter of losing the word or like you know i don't think there is any reclaiming that can be possible but just lose the word and then center happiness and i don't know caring and consideration in people's lives so you kind of doing the same thing rashmi i don't think i'm agreeing with you that that um being sanskari and and like adhering to etiquette norms are are no, no, it's like a good analogy yeah they're definitely not the same i'm just saying that both i think have been whittled down uh to like specific actions uh that can then be uh you know controlly or uh, um like seen as uh, kind of exploitative or something for people okay i just have a a question though Don't we all follow these like somewhat arbitrary codes of conduct like in our daily lives all the time and don't they help us to to sort of simulate some sort of order in our lives like is there some benefit at all to having these sort of understood rules about how we behave in a big air quotes polite society right that actually facilitates communication between people or facilitates us in having this conversation or see how we don't interrupt each other right like there's these little things that are like signs of politeness and etiquette that we have deeply ingrained within us and i mean this is maybe my hot take for the day but like i'm going to say they're not so bad oh 100% like i i think that i completely agree with you kaila just in that i want people to be able to determine that for themselves like what it means for them to be polite and what it means for them to be considerate uh it's these like 
overarching like blanket notions that if you don't are there too then you get like uh, outcast or whatever uh, like that's something i don't necessarily so i was thinking about this in the context of like what we were allowed to wear to school because i felt like this was in my formative years this was this huge thing that we all really struggled with in my high school like what we were and we weren't we you know i i went to high school in miami so it was hot so you could wear shorts like boys and girls could both wear shorts to school but they had to be a certain length right and then you had and you were couldn't see your bra straps and there were all these like weird rules right and at the time i thought they were ridiculous we all rebelled against them we all got sent home all the time to change and all that but now i think okay wait a second what did we want did we did we want to show up to school in a bikini top and jean cutoffs is that what we wanted cuz somehow i don't think that's appropriate for school am i don't know like you know so i think the question is like what are are some of those rules just better like do, does it facilitate learning in a school for there to be some rules about people what people wear i mean how would i'm just thinking if it's like a tank top and shorts versus if it's a bikini and shorts right like how would it change the environment of the class like if we're always talking here in a very utopian way where there is no shame and there is no judgment and whatever right like how would it be different uh to be wearing those two different things i think the purpose of i i also think that the purpose of imposing any kind of norm uh should be clear like what is the idea behind it like for example if in today's day i can very easily see any kind of school like saying this right and uh most probably what what uh, excuse they would give is that we don't want to distract our boys and we don't want our boys to be shamed or something like that um and when you understand what the reasoning is we inherently have a problem with that right like why do you think that boys get distracted like that like or like you know you should not shame girls so then it kind of falls apart because the reason is not valid i totally agree with yeah. you but at 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 its core like if you were to tell me so can can everybody just show up to school and study, you know, ninth grade history in bikinis. Why not? Exactly. No, but but it's a problem. <laughs> because it has not happened. I feel like uh, I don't know, it's like so deeply imposed that I don't I cannot like fathom an alternate reality like that. I mean, I agree with the fact that like like there should be a certain amount of uh, control over what uh, children should be wearing in school, right? And like the reasoning should also be that we don't want young girls or like literal children to oversex to have like to oversexualize themselves in school. Uh, there's two different ways to explain this, right? Like there's one way to explain this is that you should be ashamed of your body, you should not show it off, it's gross. And another way to explain this is that like the more feminist way to explain it, which is that like. i mean women have been sort of uh, sort of socialized into sexualizing themselves for the male gaze and that's like a problem in itself and you should get to decide and there's a lot of like xyz drama like a bunch of like absolute complexities that goes into something so people just sort of prefer to use shame to get people to not do it i guess so this is the problem is that like on some level there these societal norms and these things we do to kind of lubricate social interactions and like maximize people's comfort or can be oppressive in some ways and taken to an extreme they are oppressive and they can be exclusionary but there's also some baseline level at which they actually just help things function yeah which is why like these things are like a, like something which seems very simple on either side of the debate like school or uh, dress codes is so like it seems very obvious to some people but then it's like a big ethical problem because like we've been doing a thing a certain way for a very long period of time for a reason and now to switch there's like 
you need a really 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 good strong reason in order to switch and uh, coming up with that strong reason is like not easy so <laughs> wow i love the complicated debate about whether kids can study history and they can <laughs> <laughs> to sum it up to sum up that whole discussion <laughs> but do you think that we lose out on any so i i guess it kind of brings us to the point of yes there are some things that we might lose out on if we don't enforce like etiquette or sanskar or whatever so do you think that this conversation brings us to the point where we're saying that we shouldn't reject all sanskars is that where everyone is at well okay sanskar i think is still a very religious and like casteist concept so maybe we kind of reject sanskar but then there's another code of like and like human code of conduct like and that kind of espouses all of this like ease of communication making sure that things function properly like all of that's different i think than sanskar which i don't think can be extricated from its like religious and caste like um but yeah i don't think we should i mean the covid pandemic is like a very big uh, example of this right like mask wearing is public health etiquette social distancing is public health etiquette um it's not something that's enforced i mean i don't see it being enforced in india around me right now um but it's essentially up to people to believe in it to follow it uh in order to um help themselves their own families and everybody else they come in contact with safe um so i mean that should absolutely be an imposition i feel right uh, but then if we kind of uh, draw parallels between all the other impositions that we just critiqued right now like all of these can't be put into the same box So I would go back to kind of uh, forcing people who are doing this imposition to give a good reason for why they are. Uh, because when we talk about the pandemic, there is a very good reason. Okay, so you don't die and you don't get COVID and you don't get symptoms. Like that's a very good reason, right? Um, so with any of these bans or whatever moralistic policing that happens, just give a good reason and then uh, we can take it from there. You know, but there's one thing that. complicates that properly like uh, do you remember during the covid pandemic there was also this like uproar from like extremely casteist brahmins about how uh, we've always been practicing social distancing and we've always been washing our hands and we've always not touched people who carry disease who happen to be people from oppressed castes so like they somehow managed to get a scientific reason to justify their sanskar and then it just became like but then we also knew that it was implicitly casteist in a way so like sort of uh, the problem with that is like re- anybody can justify anything welcome to the post truth world <laughs> <laughs> but i think the point is that it becomes like a vehicle through which people are projecting their own weird hang ups yeah like sanskar is good when it's personal and when it is practiced with a very healthy dose of critical thinking obviously i mean if you do the critical thinking you reject most of the sanskar but like and respectfully like, disagree with each other that's the height of sanskar yeah. <laughs> peak sanskar yeah that's good you have your closer right yeah, there yeah that that was good that was it that was for you yeah it was oh that I'm still processing our conversation. It was so heavy. On that note, <laughs> see you yeah. next week. Yeah.